This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash twist. Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OurCrowd.com slash twist. And Tiny. Want to sell your wonderful internet business? Tiny partners with founders to give them quick, straightforward exits that protect their team and culture. They'll make an offer within a week, close the deal within a month, and keep your business operating for the long term. Get in touch at tinycapital.com slash this week, and they'll let you know within a couple of days. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. We've got a very special crossover collab collaboration, whatever the, the Gen Z kids are saying today. They love when you put two things together, peanut butter and chocolate, Nike and whoever. We can go get a house in LA, start doing TikToks. We're going to do a TikTok house. It's going to be a startup. It's going to be a venture house. We're launching today a TikTok venture house, and it's going to be the most boring uh, place on the planet. Uh, with us again today, the boys are back from Acquired FM, Ben Gilbert. He's Gilbert on the Twitter, G-I-L-B-E-R-T. He is the co-host of Acquired.fm, an amazing podcast that does very deep dives into startups and investing. And he's also, Ben is also the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs and PSL Ventures, a startup studio and VC fund in Seattle. David Rosenthal is DJ Rosen T. And he is the co-host, of course, of Acquired FM, independent angel investor and startup advisor. Welcome back, boys. So great to be back. Great to be here. How's life been? You guys are getting ready for the end of the pandemic, ready to move on, oh, get back to the real up. world. Me too. Roaring 20s. I'm in on the thesis. I'm in. What, well, what do you give me the top two or three things you want to do in a post pandemic world? No masks, no rules, no regs, just everybody vaccinated and ready to go. Top three things. I, I have two that are super different. One, I want to go to a bar with my friends. Like I just miss it so dearly. The second one, so alcohol. So, so alcohol yeah. and socializing, you know, yes. uh, but like a, a real dive bar. That would be the, the, oh, the goal here. Dive bar. The other is the exact opposite. I cannot wait to go back to Disneyland. I am like oh, such yeah. an absurd. Oh, like you went right before the pandemic too, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, you did there the was Star Wars ride. It was incredible. I got to go do it again. But yes. I haven't been to the new Star Wars land. Is it everything that it's cracked up to be? It is unbelievable. It is. It is their magnum opus. Ben, um, as a king of the nerds, did you make your own lightsaber? And which kyber crystal did you put in it? Uh, I oh, did wait, not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe David and I should, should, should gamble on what kyber crystal Jedi Ben put into his. Are you a Sith Lord or are you well, a Jedi, Ben? Well, today I'm all black. So I think I'm like Luke from Empire Strikes Back. Sort Ooh, of very wavering nice. on the on Ooh, the. Well, like well you got... Uh, You've got it. Sadly, Ben's, Ben's had a little little carpal tunnel going on. So, mm, ben. oh yeah, Luke. I've got like the Luke Skywalker. Oh, look, hands yeah, going look on. at that! Wow, that is a great android looking hand. Did you lose that to <laughs> Count Dooku or Darth Vader? <laughs> Very nicely done. So yeah, Disney is something uh, that's nice. on my list what, what to bring yeah, my what, girls. What's on your list? Well, I got Disney for my daughters and going to the movies with my daughter. So my reward for my daughter and secretly me was if she had a good week at school, we'd go to the movies. And in fairness, dad's favorite thing to do is go to the movies or amongst it. 
So my little partner and I, crime and I would be like, she'd be like, is this okay for me? I'm like, great for me, this movie, but yeah, you wanted Scarface. Yeah, I don't think I can take you to see it, but I, you know, a PG 13 movie, I'll take her to see. So I'm excited about the movies in Disney and also going back to Japan and getting on a flight and doing some speaking gigs. That would be in the short list for me. How about you? Uh, international travel for me. Mm. Just Got a particular place uh, and, uh, well, actually, wander you know, lusting for? How you wander Almost international for travel from uh, from San Francisco, but not really. New York. I miss New York. Yes. I, was, like, I miss I my mommy and daddy. Get back. I, was, I was thinking about running through Central Park the other day. Oh, so oh, great. It's the best. Cannot wait. All right. Uh, maybe we'll do like a joint live pod. That'd be fun. Oh, that'd be sick. So let's go over the state of venture capital. You guys heard the All In podcast. We went on the All In pod. We did um, a little bit of talk about the future of it. Chamath put together a deck. And then uh, our friends and partners over at PitchBook, if you don't know PitchBook, they keep track of all these uh, deals. And they and they they we've joined in partnership with them with the podcast to uh, just share some of their data. They're not a paid partnership. We just, they gave us access to the data and we're sharing it. So the median early stage pre-money valuation continues to edge upwards in Q4 2020, ultimately reaching an all-time high of 35 million and bringing the yearly median to a record high of 30 million. Now that's interesting. We got to parse that. This is their early stage pre-money valuation. That means before the money gets put in. So if 10 got put in, the 35 would turn into 45. But even just looking at this, I think they're- a combination of seed and A. I think it's a combination of seed and A, yeah. I think it's when a fund goes into it. Let's follow up with the second paragraph. This figure is nearly double the annual median from just five years prior, when the median early stage valuation barely eclipsed 15 million. The recent run-up in pre-money valuations reflects not only startups' abilities to command lofty valuations, but also investors' willingness to finance promising early stage ventures at higher valuations and for larger check sizes. It's fairly obvious particularly as the median early stage deal size has reached an all-time high of 6.5 million in 2020. And that's like when you step off the plane at SFO, they just hand you six and a half million. Is that sort of... Basically, yeah. I mean, right, right when you get past the first Starbucks, you can go <laughs> and make a left at the Cafe X machine and pick up your briefcase full of cash. It is a little bonkers out there. What's the craziest stripping out the valuations peak bubble early stage startup moment you've had in the last couple of weeks i got one but yeah, i'll let you guys uh, you got oh, looks like ben's got one he's ready to oh, go he's just i mean it's just been one after another after another i mean well, I give think me the most that, egregious one that was like heartbreaking for you to say no to or say yes to as the case may be <laughs> well i uh, there's been situations where i've seen um insiders want to lead the next round and and get sort of feel like there's going to be pressure to do some crazy valuation and then just doing crazy valuations inside without that external pressure. Um, I think people are frankly second guessing themselves based on the the sheer amount of of insanity out there. And so people are getting itchy, even absent external data um, to force them into those situations. And so to be clear, an inside round, that's when if the three of us were investors in a startup, we decide, hey, startups tripled revenue, let's quadruple their valuation and give them another $3 million, 1 million each, as opposed to going out and saying, let the market value this company come back to us and we'll tell you if we want to beat it, participate, do our pro rata, not do our pro rata. But Jason, I think the thing to underscore here is it's not a crazy market for everyone. It's a bifurcated market. There's 90% of startups, the fundraising market is behaving the way that it has for the last two, three years. And then there's 10% of startups where it's bananas town. And you basically have a week where you're on the fundraising trail and you either get sorted into Hogwarts so week, week is or long you don't. These days. I mean, it's, it's, it is like, um, 
the way I was describing it the other day to to some portfolio companies who are are you know debating do we go and fundraise right now is uh, every VC is so inundated that everybody sort of wants to run their normal diligence process, their normal investment process. But the thing that keeps happening to them is somebody just keeps hijacking their week. And so Mm. the question when you're evaluating any opportunity is, is this one that I get to run my normal process on? Or is this run where I have to is this one where I have to drop everything and completely change my plans and clear my schedule and, you know, freak out and go compete. And like, it's feeling like you never actually get to run your normal process. You're only ever in the crazy town part. David, what are you saying out there? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all that, but actually the most interesting thing, well, a all in pot is so good. I think we said this last time we're on, you guys are just crushing it. Like, awesome to see i thought it was the end the end of last week's when you know you did the chamat deck and talked about the state of venture capital yeah. you kind of i assume as a joke you're like i'm, I'm getting wetyourbeak.com i'm putting it up for syndicate yeah that's Boy, actually like you guys are i hope you really do that that's what i think is super interesting because well, if you go to wetyourbeak.com we have uh, a forum up which just the type form i use for our events and uh, yeah, we're getting hundreds of pitches. I mean, most of them are like, I have an idea and can Chamath take me to a Warriors game or whatever, but it's uh, <laughs> a good idea. Know, it's a, uh, yeah, but continue. But yeah, seriously, like why? Uh, I think you guys are really onto something that like, if the four of you actually put together a syndicate or roller, you know, something, some sort of vehicle, like would if, and I'm a founder and I'm, I'm maybe an early stage founder, like, would I rather take money from the four of you who have built in the number one technology pod in the world right now that you can talk about them? Or would I rather take money from a venture capital firm that's going to give me money? Exactly. I think, you know, people are starting to realize and obviously you guys have this built in as well. If you have a media channel, you can capture deal flow, and you can promote the deal flow if you're at scale. Um, The only rub for us is, you know, Tremont's doing public market investing, um, and he'll dabble, I think, earlier stages. Sachs has his own fund, so it's not like right. he can pop up another vehicle. I have my own fund. Um, so, and then Freeberg runs a startup studio. So I think what will wind up happening is, you know, if it's really early stage, I'll wind up syndicating them and then including the other besties if they want. So, like, they could, you know, go in through my syndicate carry free or we could come up with some hybrid, but we, what we can't do is have them uh, invest in a company right, outside of their out. fund and then their LPs right. are like, what happened? Right. <laughs> 2021 is looking up. New beginnings means new opportunities to grow your business. If part of your strategy, like mine, is adding new team members, LinkedIn Jobs finds the right person quickly. And to make things even better, they've sweetened the pot. You're going to get your first job post for free. Hiring is a huge part of what I'm doing right now, finding really talented people. And that's because LinkedIn has over 722 million members worldwide. And those members mean business. If you post a job there, you can target it with specific screening questions. This is critical. This is a tip that I give everybody. What screening questions do is they remove all those crazy folks who just send their resume out to everybody without even reading the job description, right? If you ask a very simple question, why do you want to work for this week in startups? Why would you like to be on the launch investment team? Well, then people have to turn their brains on and write something. And if they put 
because I need a job, well, that might not be the type of person you're looking to hire. We love LinkedIn jobs because we can manage all these different candidates from one single view. You know, it's really nice to see who you know in common or who your team knows in common with the candidate for reference checks, which are critically important. I mean, LinkedIn is a giant built-in reference check machine. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. I beg of you, stop wasting your time. LinkedIn.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com slash T-W-I-S-T, T-W-I-S-T, twist. And you will get a free job listing terms and conditions. Of course, apply because they're giving you something for free. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. But let me ask you this. If you guys were, if you guys were starting over, you had the all-in pod, yeah. would you do this? Seems like a no-brainer, right? It would be, yeah. I mean, I think everybody will eventually copy my model, which is have a podcast and a syndicate. I think it's actually, I stumbled upon the best model. Um, the podcast, you know, I and copy. And Horowitz is copying you. Uh, well, they copy me all the time. I mean, they literally sit there and just, <laughs> they literally have anybody. like five partners, like taking notes of what I'm doing. Um, that's okay, though. I keep changing it. Um, you can, you can steal the recipe, but, you know. They got a bug plate with that neon sign. You got to do the work that's actually, uh, yeah, actually got a bug directly back there. piped in. To Absolutely. In yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I I think you know equity crowdfunding is really interesting. I don't know if you saw what happened with Sahil and Backstage. Yeah. Have you guys been following that? I'm curious your thoughts. On yeah. They, any she, impact she, you think that will make? Uh, so with Backstage Capital, Arlen put the management company up and basically sold 10 percent of the management company. Right. So the what do the you think of that to future uh, fees and carry? Have you ever seen anybody do that? So I know in 99, people were taking management companies public. Really? So there, there, there have well, private been. equity firms do this all the time. Yeah. What was the number one example of a, of a, do you remember any venture firms doing? I remember startup studios like Idea Lab was going to do it. And then Vertical Net um, was like a startup studio or CMGI, right? Which had done Vertical Net. CMGI was like a, again, an Idea Lab, almost like a Y Combinator, except they originated the ideas or like Science Labs in New York, or in LA or Betaworks. But I think those that business model, startup lab business model is having a hard time right now. I would uh, wildly disagree. But th that's because I have inside information. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I mean, aside from Snowflake, um, but I think, isn't it hard to find CEOs to staff these companies when the founder is the venture capitalist? And so I think that CEO that last little bit company? is the is the thing that that is make or break for the model. You, oh. the, the whole thing, at least we've found, is you have to do everything in your possible power to make that founder the founder of the business. They hire the people, they raise the money, their name is on the line. You know, they, they're signing up to be a founder of a business and not be a hired CEO. And and at least it. half of what you guys are doing now is uh, the the founders come to you it's not like it's your idea right like the founders bring the idea and start it yep you. yep and of course we're, we're talking about pioneer square labs our, our startup studio yeah 50 percent of it is founders bringing ideas 50 percent oh, is so ideas we it, have that do you find easily ceos or is that really hard to find a ceo it is the constraining factor in the business i Got mean that because to the extent that you partner with a b plus founder then why are you doing it in the first place Correct. and so you have like a you know super narrow bottom of funnel for a startup studio, what do you think the average startup studio offers a hired gun CEO in terms of equity? 10%, 20%, 5%? What do you think the, the range is? Obviously, I it mean, depends on the person's experience and how far along the company is, but it I can't think be less than 5%, right? 
I think if they're messaging it like a hired gun CEO, it doesn't matter what they're offering them because it's it's doomed to fail. But okay, I will say uh to the extent where it's more like a co-founder like the mm. studio is a glorified co-founder you know it's a uh, for example we're 22 people largely engineers designers digital marketers all that stuff um i think by the time you get to series a it ends up looking just like another investor on the cap table 20 um, percent then yeah somewhere in there got it we recently did it for the first time we had oh this interesting we had growth university and we were starting this because we wanted to educate our accelerator and the growth university program, we had somebody who wanted to run it, Craig Zingerline, who's an amazing CEO who had invested in before. Um, so he had been through the accelerator. And we said, we'll make this growth university with you. You run it, you're the CEO, we'll back it, we'll do the financing and we'll split it 50-50. So we did a 50-50 and then we just syndicated it. And I syndicated it to my syndicate and said, no carry. So we'll raise five or 600K. Nice. But you guys get a free ride. And of course it filled up real quick. Um, and then I put 100K in from my fund and I had to go to my LPAC, um, you know, my um, advisory yeah, yeah. committee, I guess. And I just said, is it okay for me to put 100 in from the fund or is it conflicted deal flow? Because I've never been faced with that because when I raised the fund, we never said we were a startup studio. You, Ben, told everybody you were going to be a startup studio, so they bought into that already. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and you're right. The The model has all these conflicts that you have to figure out mechanisms to solve for because you're simultaneously helping to sort of co-found and birth this business into the world. And then 10 seconds later, you're evaluating it with your you know, independent investor eyes, and you're saying, should my LPs have exposure to this company? Uh, and, and you have to be really careful about that and, and sort of create a system where, um, you know, y you have the very best information you could possibly have to make that decision and your heart is in it. So it's, it's 100%. Tricky. Yeah. So venture capital is insane right now. I am thinking about taking a pause. I'll be totally honest. I have so many companies right now that I'm thinking about shifting about a third of my energy to new investments to just redeploying it on the existing portfolio companies and helping them raise more money. And I'm thinking about taking another third of that and then focusing on M&A and selling companies. What do you think so wait, my interesting help me understand focusing on existing companies. Are you willing to pay the prices that these existing companies are getting in their step ups? Or are you saying, hey, can we reopen a node or something and I can just give you more capital at the same price? I'm thinking of going to my portfolio companies and then just assisting them in their process because I'm going to them and I'm saying, what's your raising plan? I'm like, oh, I got a year as a runway. I'm not doing it. I'm like, I've never seen anything hotter. You should be raising now. And they're like, but we just yeah. closed our race six months ago. And I'm like, yeah, but raise now. Raise now. I mean, it's crazy out there. Just raise. I don't know if you heard like some Y Combinator company pre launch got a hundred million dollar valuation. So now this <laughs> club houseification of this arm race where you give people $10 million for 10% of their company before it's launched is now becoming an infection. If that's the case, if, if, the market is illogical in terms of the valuations. The logical thing to do would be to be a seller of equity, correct? Absolutely. It's never been a better time to found a company. I just sold 10% of my position in one of our biggest holdings. I won't say which one, but uh, I was just like, this is just too rich of a valuation for me to not take the 10% idiot insurance. I think it depends on... It depends was it, on wasn't your access to capital and your, and your capital deployment strategy are you talking about shifting your dollars or shifting your time my and time energy? my time. time and energy right i mean it doesn't mean we're not going to do the pro rata but if we are looking at our if we're all looking at our mutual portfolios and saying 
do I want to add a company now at $50 million valuation? Or do I take the five companies I invested in last year at a $10 million valuation and help three of them become $50 million companies? Right, right. Which is a better use of my time, of Ben's time, right? Of David's time, of Jason's time. What's a better use of an early stage person's time? I'm just wondering. I'm putting it out there. I haven't solidified this. I haven't even talked to my team about it. But I, the valuations are all, I'll give you my story. Company raises $12 million. Uh, sorry, company raises two or three million at a $12 million valuation six months ago, they want me on the cap table, or it's five months ago, they asked for like 25 million. And I was like, what's changed since then? And they're like, nothing. I mean, we, we made product progress. But I'm like, is anybody paying for the product? Like, not yet. I'm like, so you want a two and a half extra valuation in six months? And they're like, yeah, but I think that's what we can get. And I was like, good luck. Let me know. Um, probably is what they can get. Uh. And I just said, you know what? Uh, when you get to a million dollars in revenue, come back because when you're at a million dollars in revenue, somebody will give you 20 times, five times, which will be the valuation you're getting now. So, I mean, I think the thing is, though, like, what is it, SaaS company? This, it's kind of like, yeah. like you guys were, um, I think this was Tomas, part of Tomas' thesis on, on the, on the all in pod was the middle layers of the capital cake are just getting squashed right now. Oof, brutal. So like if you're, you know, and this is, you know, this is the FOMO mentality. This is what driving it. But like, if, if you don't get into these companies, you're not, you're not getting in uh, again. Um, I mean, like one of probably my best performing angel investment, uh, which is performing, best performing in terms of markups, let's be clear, not in terms of yeah. revenue or anything yet. Um, you know, if you weren't in, early like the, there's no the, room the now big guys came in and stuffed a bunch of money in, and then they stuffed a bunch of money again in an internal round and then they did bring in an external firm but it was like a no deck no partner meeting no enough wow. just like heard you are raising here's what a term sheet could go wrong <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong here well hmm. and jason so the the point that you were making earlier if founders are like should i listen to jason or not you know if if he's coming in and and you know uh, dedicating his time to helping me raise my next round instead of going and finding new companies for his his basket of diversified portfolio of equities um you want to raise money when you can and when yeah. the wind is at your back and not when you have six to nine months of capital left. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people constantly, and it's a natural feeling, feeling like, but I just fundraised. And, but if the chart's going up, like that doesn't matter. Go, go fundraise when you can. Okay, let's, I, I agree with that. Let's take a pause for a second here and talk about the equity crowdfunding we saw. And I want to unpack both deals because both deals were spectacular. Both deals were 5 million. It took, I think, Arlen a week, but she just reached it today, I believe, with 7,147 oh, investors. That's so great. And 5 million Sahil did in one day. Um, but that's and a $10 million business. just raised. And Republic announced their $36 million raise, but you could be sure that that was done three months ago. Um, and they're just announcing it now. So that that probably predates this red hot market or the equity crowdfunding um, ra uh, raise and limitation. So that's where we, I think we have to start. The big change here, I believe, is that it's $1 million. It used to be a max of $1 million. And I did an equity crowdfunding on Seed Invest for Inside, let the readers buy shares. It was great. I put in 250k of my own money during that. Um, so I had a lot of skin in the game, my personal money, not the fund. And so... The max was 1.07 million. Now the max is 5 million. Annually, so, right? Annually. So there is no sponsor on this. There is no GP or syndicate lead. There is no partner. 
In other words, if you're a founder and you go do this, you now have a direct relationship with your investors without anybody mitigating that. Is that a plus or a minus? And is that disruptive to VCs in Series A? Or is it disruptive to seed funds? Who is who loses if founders start realizing I can have no adult supervision and just raise $100 from each of 5000 people or whatever or $1,000 on average from 5000 people? Uh, wow, big box authority questions. The first exactly. thing that comes to mind for me is so let's say I, I sell out $5 million. And I do that. To, you know, there's 400 new people. My first question is like, do they actually all show up on my cap table? Or is there some sort of vehicle that manages all that? I think there's some sort of vehicle. I'm not sure exactly how that works. I'll be totally honest. I know in a syndicate, you have an S you have an LLC, right? Um, so I'm not sure how that exactly works. But I you may actually get all of them on your cap table. I'm not sure how it works. And, and then my second th question is if, like, if that's Republic will probably yeah, add it to that. it's got to be on they it's got to be on their page. Yeah. And then the other issue that sort of comes up with that is like, let's say there's an acquisition that goes through a lot of times, there'll be a provision that's like, we want to make sure that we get 95% of preferred holders. And sometimes people will say like, we want 100% of preferred holders. Oh, yeah, everybody signs standard. off on this deal. Yeah. Like, does this change that dynamic where now, you know, th these will be a special class of shares that are preferred, but not, you know, yeah, they can't impact decisions. So they're, you know, they're automatically subjugated to drag along rights in a sort of much broader scale where they, they can be dragged along. I think this is going to be like uh, remote first companies. Like we were talking with Wade at Zapier about this. Like when they started, it was like, oh, you're a remote company. Well, that weirdos. Means you know, if you were going to sell yourself, you're worth like half as much as if you had weirdos. an office. No you know, weirdos. No campus weirdos. Yeah. No, no kind no. bar weirdos. <laughs> uh, I think this just makes so much sense. Like, why? Yeah. Why wouldn't you get this? You know, VC five million dollars it makes are sense. so expensive. Like, they come with so many strings. The only thing that it didn't make sense previously was you had to do a lot of audits, and you know, it was a lot of work compared to selling to accredited investors and credit investors can be like, I invest $10,000 and no diligence. Whereas if you're a civilian, and you want to invest $500 or $5 or $50, it's really hard. Um, it's called the crowd safe. And it's one item on the cap table. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are not just like, like, certainly, there's some people that are gonna do this in lieu of, you know, gambling or going to the track or whatever. And like, that's fine because you can yeah. gamble to go to the track, right? But I think there's a lot of dollars out there that like actually are fairly sophisticated, actually yeah. would like to do this, but just can't access the venture markets. I mean, you know, Wall Street like, bets. You know, you, all of Wall well, Street right. bets can show up for this. You know, you like go, David when, said, very sophisticated. <laughs> raising money for a traditional venture fund. You know, you go if you like worked with you know Cambridge Associates, a great firm, and the like. You know, they're like a lot of family offices out there, very sophisticated capital or or small foundations and endowments. That would love to invest in stars, but the reason they put money into venture managers is because, like, how are they going to do it otherwise? I just love this 506C kind of situation. I don't know if that applies to equity crowdfunding, but, you know, the rolling funds that Sahil did and Angelus is doing, just that a whole ability to raise publicly, I think, is fascinating. Do you ever wish that you invested early in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Well, our crowd investors did invest early in many of those awesome IPOs. With our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups before they IPO or get bought. Our crowd investors have benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat, which is really tasty, and Lemonade. 
both have seen big returns since going public. And some of the companies have been acquired by buyers like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle, and Uber. Yum, yum to my team at Uber. Great job. Okay, the investment professionals at our crowd have already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. They know what they're doing. They vet the companies, they do the diligence. And then it's just up to you to create an account and to read the deal memos and make your own investment decision. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Shield, an AI-powered platform that helps global financial enterprises, think like banks, or, you know, that kind of thing, meet increasingly complex compliance rules. According to the deal memo, Shield addresses an 89 billion dollar market with tools that automatically detect and alert on behaviors that lead to market abuse, employee misconduct, and information sharing. You can easily get in on Shield and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. That's O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist. Let's talk about the value. In the case of Sawhill, it's a $10 million company. I think it was a $100 million value, pre-money valuation. That's not crazy, but it is rich. It's 100 times earnings. It's 10 times top line revenue, I think, ballpark. Yeah, ten, pe- t- yeah. 10 times top line for a SaaS company right now is way under market. Yeah. I mean, I, I almost want to throw up saying that, but it's like yeah. half of what public company SaaS, you know, multiples are. Uh, eight and a half times revenue for Sawhill. So that that seems like you might be able to make a profit. I, I don't know what their growth rate is. That's the key. They had a big growth spurt during COVID for his business. Gumroad is the name of the business that lets people sell digital assets, sort of like Substack does for newsletters, but for any digital asset. So I think I think it might be a slow growth company. Maybe it's growing. I'm looking at, I'm on their website. On what was the revenue from 2020 like to 2019? this right there, GMV in 2020 was 143 million, which was up 2x from the past year. And they get like 10% of that or something, yeah, or 8% so. after whatever. So know, that's a pretty yeah. fairly valued deal. I think it's, it's, it seems reasonable, I guess, with the growth rate. We'll see if they can 10x their investment. 9.2 million in 2020. Uh, but your question that, that, that I think you're, you're getting at here is, is the 5 million from all the people who put it in, in aggregate, in some more valuable than if a venture firm put in $5 million? I wasn't actually asking that. I was wondering if they would get <laughs> any kind of what we thought the chances of them having a return on investment. And we think it's reasonable that they could. But I think your question is actually really interesting because all of those people become advocates for the company, right? You have 7,000 owners now. It's amazing. Which is amazing. Um, I think that I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to do it for inside.com again because we're profitable now and we have over a million dollars in the bank. But I mean, to get and I think I might underprice as well, because it's really interesting to have all those people rooting for you at $500 a piece. I kind of love that. Well, for you guys, you get you have a bunch of loyal readers, I'm sure, right? We like, have 400,000 emails in the database. Yeah, we convert yeah. 1% of those were good, uh, which is what happened last time. Uh, so I think this could be amazing. Like if all the drivers or all the you know, if all the DoorDash drive, imagine the early days of Uber or DoorDash, what if DoorDash just did this every time but gave their drivers priority or airbnb did it and gave the uh host the priority we've talked about this before it's incredible right right because you're raising a series c or you know i don't know like you guys said like sure you're raising your a maybe your b you want sequoia on your cap table great that that makes sense yeah you're raising your c like who cares it's just a financial transaction well it's why you see people just pulling in like some random sovereign wealth fund or 
you know, uh, the, the big family offices and then never really announcing who did the round, but just saying how much they raised. I mean, we had Rahul Vora on our, our, uh, our podcast to talk about how he fundraises for superhuman. And he was saying, well, every other round, I get a big name firm and then I'll get like a family office or something just to give me that nice step up in valuation. Basically the cheapest capital that I can find in the, in the, in the middle. Uh, and we own 2% of superhuman. We're excited. Love it. <laughs> hey, nice. Yeah, get that quit. <laughs> I, uh, well, we, we wrote the 500k chat you know on a sunday before he even launched it just on like a three-page deck i was like what's your idea and he's like i want to make like the most elegant email product i was like oh that's amazing i was like uh what's the business model he's like like, well we're gonna charge a dollar a day and i was like you're gonna charge 365 dollars a year for what google provides for free he said yep let me think about that for a second over 10 years, they'll give you $4,000. Over 10 years, they give Google $0. And somebody's going to do that. He's like, yeah. I was like, why would they do that? He's like, well, we'll save them like 10% of their time and it'll be a better experience. I was like, I would pay for it. I mean, how much do I pay for Zoom Like Google provides this for free too. And here we are on Zoom and we've all paid richly for it. So The exactly. other ridiculous thing that was, it was unbelievable, nobody had figured out until now that directly impacts all of this is pipe and cap chase and clear bank and like yeah be careful with these folks because some of them are different than others pipe as an example is a two-sided marketplace you're saying this because you're 50 percent of the all-in besties that are not invested in pipe so you got a chip on your shoulder here no i actually pipe i like clear bank i don't (laughs) it's not that i dislike clear bank but i just had to i felt like they were being disingenuous about the they wouldn't say the rate and mm. so I got in a little bit of a fight with them and I declined their advertising uh, on This Week in Startups because I didn't like the way they were doing their messaging, which was, oh, we only charge $6,000 for two months for, you know, 100K or 200K. And I was like, so you're charging whatever it was. I was like, you're charging 6% every two months, which is 36%, but it's compounding. So it's like 50% interest. Like, no, no, we just charge a $6,000 fee. I'm like, but if you called it interest, <laughs> it would be a 50% interest rate. And uh, then one of my companies used it and they had a very bad experience. So I was like, I don't know. Have you guys had any of your companies use ClearBank specifically? Not ClearBank, but uh, but actually... a sponsor of the show of, of acquired is CapChase, and they're they've been like awesome to work with. We haven't worked with them as customers yet, but like um, I am in love. What with is this their business deal? CapChase. They're like um, they're kind of a hybrid. They're they're between those two. They're they're like pipes, so they're for the same companies as you know, SaaS companies, software companies. Um, but they have their own. It's not it, it, it's a combination of their own capital plus they raise on the capital markets, but it's not a marketplace. CapChase, C A P. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of them. Are they raising money at some ridiculous valuation that none of us can afford? I think they're doing well, so I would assume so. <laughs> well, after what happened with Pipe, I would think that they're ready to go, but this looks cool. I believe they've only raised a pretty large seed round. I bet they'll raise another equity round soon. They, they raised a big credit facility for investing in uh, Well, companies. maybe we need to get our beaks wet. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Uh, get after those other guys that are in Pipe. Uh, look at this. They have their nice type form set up here. Um, I'm checking them out. All right. And then finally, to put a cap on these, in order t- for people to make a return on the investment in Arlen's fund, Backstage Capital, she sold 10% of the management company for $5 million. You get for that $5 million, according to the really convoluted chart i don't know if you saw the chart of how the money flows but i guess she's got multiple entities so they had to like disclose everything 
10% of management fees. And I uh, can somebody on the team tell me how much she has under management? I think it's 10 or 20, 15 million. Maybe it's 15 million. So 10% of the management company's returns and their management fees. So putting aside management fees, because even if she had a $50 million fund and was getting a million dollars, 10% of that would only be 100,000 a year, right? So you would take 50 yeah. years to make the money to even break I mean, with even. these small funds, yeah, the, the, the enterprise value is so much more in the, in the carry. In the carry. It's not, so let's know, do the carry fund. exercise. If you, in order to get 5 million back on carry, how much return would she have to have on her? Depends what percentage carry, but if you assume. Let's, let's just say 25%. 25%, yeah. yeah. So then you would need 50 million in the total carry pool. So you would need 200 million. In return, which that's not unreasonable. 200, let's see, 50 million is the value of the company. 5 million is the amount that's been invested. To break even, if you had 250 million, no, if you had 200 million, 25% of that would be 50 returned. So you'd have to clear 200 million. And if you had 15 million carry to the fund, investment, yeah. you'd have 260, you'd have to return. Oh, here we go. 7 million, according to PitchBook. 5 million for fund one, 2 million for the backstage accelerator. Let's round it up to 10 million. 10 million, she'd have to return 260 million on the existing, which would be a 26x uh, cash on cash fund. Well, I, I, I was assuming she had more capital under management. So she, fund, she has to say, really pick some well, winners. Well, fund two is open right now. Let's say fund well, two yeah, I mean, is it, 20 million. The so management just, company is going to manage every future vehicle that she raised. So I, right. I, I mean, the reason so that you can comfortably assign a large value to a management company like that is that if she does 10 funds in the future in a studio and an accelerator and she launches a podcast and right. it's all under that umbrella, it's not hard to see how the discounted sum of future profits of everything under the backstage Honestly, umbrella that point, could both, get yeah, to fees 50. and carry totally and revenue the yeah. fees would always be de minimis but let's just say the second fund wound up being 30 million and that would be 40 million 40 million turning into 200 would be a 5x cash on cash fund you'd yep. have to have it's a great fund but that, well, that's it has to be 6x basically like more like 6x because you have to pay back the original 40 so and small like funds i mean as you know small funds are much easier to get those higher multiples on. Absolutely. Yeah, look I at mean, Saka, look at the first uh, Madrona fund that I was part of. It's a $167 million fund, 2005 vintage, I think, and has now hard dollar cash returned over $1.3 to LPs with two, with two pretty good portfolio companies still sitting unrealized. I would take, yeah. I would take the Sahil deal in terms of just return on investment um, over the backstage one, but the backstage one, you're basically betting on the future and the Sahil one, you're betting on the what exists today. So depending on your risk and also depending on affinity, right? I mean, I think if you want to see change in venture and you're making the investment because you want to see change in the world and you're happy to just either lose the money or double your money, but you're not like trying to 10x it. See, I think, yeah, that's the opportunity here. It's the affinity. That's the opportunity. Like yeah, it's, it's not affinity. just the returns. You just want returns. Like there are plenty of things you can do to just generate returns. I will say the, the interesting macro trend that like this discussion, you know, of talking about the uh, revenue loans or the revenue financing world, plus this crowdfunding world, plus solo capitalists. And Jason, everything that you had, you had talked about on the all in where you're talking about that you've got these mega funds, you've got the sequoias of the world that are following along from seed all the way through IPO. And, yep. you know, they're not having they, they don't need the growth equity anymore. After that, there's one sort of fund to help you. 
it's very quickly following a trend that has happened in other areas on the internet, but took forever to show up to startup financing, which is this duality, this chasm. And we observed it in media, like we just did this New York Times episode, there's the New York Times, everybody who was smaller than the New York Times, but had a big cost structure in the middle sort of failed. And then there's this thriving long tail of yep. low cost structure and then businesses twist. <laughs> serving niches. And there's I think nothing there's nothing in between. Totally. And I think that like, it's fascinating to watch it happen to capital, where either you need to be large, or you need to be small with a low cost structure and very differentiated. And it's like the middle is a tough, tough place to be. If you were me, would you make the syndicate into a platform and go head to head with AngelList? Ooh. Well, AngelList, you know, uh, incredible innovators they offer great products but <laughs> they are a monopoly in the space like they have ultimate pricing power like um you know i have seven thousand members and we're adding 200 100 200 a week yeah i mean if, if you were to open it up to third parties on your infrastructure that could be very interesting especially if you're willing to price below angel list david you're an angel investor you don't have a fund right no, but I've considered it. I've thought about I've talked so, to Angelist about doing a rolling fund. Well, if I went to you and I said, Hey, bring me a deal and I'll syndicate it and split the carry with you, would that be interesting to you as an angel? Uh, we do all the work. Potentially all if, if it was a deal, deal that memory? required a lot of capital. Um, yeah, like a million dollars or two million dollars, series A type deal. More interesting for me though would be um uh, but I don't know that I'm a uh, specific use because we have acquired and we have our own audience um most interesting to me would be let me use your infrastructure yeah infrastructure is done by assure fund management which we invested in they used to be the back end for um angelist before angelist decided to do it themselves with i think something called bellwether i think is theirs so anyway i, I i'm just i've been toying with the idea i don't want to go head to head with naval but I do think I could cherry pick, let's say, four angel investors to work with me and just say, yeah, uh, when you but have if a you, big if you deal, knew really good angel investors that didn't have a built in audience that they could use to get the capital or back office, or they yeah. don't want to take the time to build, you know, 10,000 people onto their accredited investor list, all that. Um, I was also thinking about maybe doing fund to fund with it too. Like, so I have a friend who's doing raising a venture fund and she was like, would you put 5 million in with your syndicate? And I was like, I've never thought about that. How would that work? Like, you could take a percentage of the carry or whatever. And I was like, huh. So I could do an SPV that was an LP in your fund and then wet my beak there. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we're like searching around here and wondering if we've reached a top. And I just heard you say that sentence, twisted my brain into a pretzel. And uh, I think we may have found the answer. In the past, selling your business was miserable. We all know that. Months of negotiation, legal fees, and sometimes you'd have to watch the new owners just trash the business. You spent all those years building. And I have so many acquisition stories, I can tell you. I mean, even when I sold Weblogs Inc. and I had 100 blogs, they kept consolidating them and consolidating them down until now there's only two left in Gadget and Autoblog. And I just heard they're going to consolidate those down into Yahoo. It's so painful me to look back and watch all of that stuff get ripped apart. Well, now there's Tiny. I had Tiny's co-founder, Andrew Wilkinson, on episode 1174 back in February, where he described their amazing new approach, Warren Buffett style, if you will, to acquisitions. He's buying stuff up. He's doing this incredible roll-up. Andrew and his team started Tiny to become the buyer they wish they could have sold to. Somebody who's fair, somebody who's fast, and of course, founder-friendly. If you're looking for a new home for your internet business, they'll respond in a day or two, make 
make an offer within seven days and close a straightforward deal in about 30 days. Tiny, T-I-N-Y, partners with founders to give them quick, straightforward exits that protect their team and culture. Get in touch with tinycapital.com and they'll let you know within a couple of days if they want to buy your business and for how much. You got nothing to lose. Go ahead and visit tinycapital.com slash this week. Now we've decided to do something really fun. Everybody loved our Mount Rushmore uh, last time you boys were on. And we decided we're going to do bracketology because of March Madness about who is the world's best private company. Here's the criteria. We'll throw it up on the screen. We have four categories, futurism, fintech, consumer, and productivity. And we're going to do a bracketology here. You got, what do we got? Eight on each side. And then, so 16 companies. Yep, four in each category. We're starting at the sweet 16. Sweet 16. So walk me through the factors we're thinking about considering here while we make this decision. Because you you boys were very involved in this with producer Nick, right? Indeed. Yeah, we, we don't want to take Nick. this is this is producer Nick's baby, but we were involved. Okay, well, Nick is not allowed to be on air. So you guys explain <laughs> what we're doing. here. <laughs> oh, brutal. He doesn't want to, I would prefer All to right. be on air more often. All right. So the the criteria, uh, and, and we should talk about if we want to narrow this a little bit, because it actually would affect my picks. The criteria that we talked about is uh, first and foremost, founder bet. So how much sort of raw potential does the the founder or CEO have? Um, the second factor being, can this be a FANG, Fang plus Microsoft equivalent company within the next 10 Fang. years? Can, can it be a trillion dollar? You know, these new, this new class of companies we didn't previously think I could like exist this. until the last couple of years. I like this idea. Is, can it be a trillion dollar company? Can it join the FANG, right? I love that. Yeah. And I think I'd like to make that the first and foremost. Hundred yeah, percent. I think I'm that's down for that too. I mean, that's all we care about. It's all right. of us just want to have a trillion dollar company in our portfolio at some point, right? Totally. And I, for a while, like as I was looking through trying to make first my bracket earlier, company's the hardest. I, I I thought about like cash on cash. I thought about like remaining upside IRR. You know, this bucket of like, it, is it a good investment now? And it's like, it just makes you pick suboptimal picks because you're like well where can i get where is a little bit of a value bet here yeah let's, so let's just let's pick. assume all these companies are all in our portfolio we've wet our beak on all of them right and now we're trying to decide we're doing like okay a portfolio that's fine right review. so we're not looking yes. at What's them our, from which one's undervalued which one's overvalued just which one is going to be the most important company we're allocating eventually. our energy for the right. next couple years of Boom. in our portfolio which one are we going to get right. really behind and help let's start with futurism because when we get really behind and help it that's the thing that's going to turn it into a trillion dollar company absolutely there are people <laughs> going to listen to our podcast and of a sudden it's going to be worth a trillion all right futurism bracket first up spacex of course valuation 74 billion they've raised 6.4 billion uh my boy antonio from valor uh, my other boy jervitson from dfj and elon are all major investors sachs is also sequoia, investor. right just did sequoia uh, did okay right rule off works with elon round. Oh, good. So, um, Ruloff worked with Elon, was the CFO of PayPal. Two billion in revenue, almost ten thousand employees, and they have a really great product that people are, I think, underestimating. For me, the most valuable company, the most valuable part of the company is Starlink. Starlink, for sure. Yes. Yep. Do we all agree on that? Yeah. Completely. Starlink is going to change everything. People who have it already, and Elon showed it to me last year, and. <laughs> And the early prototype of it and boy is it sick I'll, i can't say anything else i know but it is sick. it's awesome Ooh. have you watched the videos on youtube of people setting it up 
It's, I haven't. A, I, I, it's I was, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I literally saw, you know, unit number one <laughs> at the home base and it was quite spectacular to see what it's capable of. And I think there's cards to be turned. I don't want to, uh, there's cards that are going to turn over that will be even more mind blowing. I'll leave it at that. Is this like, a, is this like an Iron Man situation? Is there the, like a secret like button you push and like it, it's something awesome happens? I just think there's more cards to turn over. <laughs> Let's leave it at that, you know? Uh, so, uh, and then our number two, Rivian, uh, which is Tesla's top competitor in EV trucks. They got a $27 billion valuation. They've raised $8 billion. Major investors include Ford and T. Rowe Price. Not that those mean anything, but uh, necessarily. But Amazon and Jeff Bezos are also investors. That's right. Or is it Amazon or Jeff Bezos? Amazon's an investor and they have pre-ordered 100,000 trucks from them that they're going to start to electrify their delivery fleet. Why don't you read me the next two? The next two are... Anduril. Anduril, which okay. is Palmer Lucky's new, although it's not that new, company mm-hmm. after Oculus, which is a uh, defense mm-hmm. contractor, a, a new a tech-enabled defense contractor, basically. Yep. New age Boeing. And this one's controversial for some reason, right? I remember well, when Palmer's this controversial. when Palmer's controversial because allegedly, I want to say allegedly because he won't come on this week in startups because he on some episode of the news roundtable we were making fun of him. He felt or something, so he uh, told me he doesn't want to come, come on, on this week in startups. Well, I told him I was like, I, number one, I don't even remember, but was it about the whole Reddit thing and your secret account? Who cares? Like, let's talk about your company. Like, seriously, I mean, your Palmer's like a super fascinating guy. He's into cosplay. He created like the best VR company ever. And now he's creating drones to protect the border. I, I don't know why everybody's so precious. Like we want, don't we want entrepreneurs I think, protecting America and making yes. weapons and systems and stuff like that? I think we want to have the best weapons and the best. I think the controversy borders. is like there's, um, you know, they're using facial recognition and whatnot and tech, you know, it is the military, but you know, look like it's either they're going to make it or Lockheed's going to make it. Like, I mean, what's the big deal? We need, I mean, we're up against China. We're up against, you know, terrorists in the Middle East. We got domestic terrorists. I mean, we, we want to keep an eye on stuff. If, if his drones, you know, he, he's making the first American-made drones is what I understand. If those drones can capture somebody with an AR-15, you know, and help the police, you know, eliminate that target. In other words, blow their f***ing brains over. I, I'm pretty cool with it. I mean, bleep that well, out. Well, like the alternative is, you know, DJI is a great company with amazing technology, but hmm. there's no way the U.S. military is going to use yeah, no. DJI drones. Like, it's just not going to happen. Nor are they going to have access to whatever the best ones are. Okay, next up is Scale AI. I was less familiar with these guys, but I'd heard of them in the past. This is like yep. the Uber for AI training is the tagline, but yep. lots of AI unstructured data training platform, right? Yeah, I mean, they're basically doing machine training for all the self-driving people. So I think they're yep. the ones giving a lot of the uh, vehicle companies white label data to, you know, train like this is, I, no, I don't think they're giving it to Tesla, but maybe the other ones are using their data yeah, sets. Tesla I don't think <laughs> Tesla doesn't need it, but. So should we, I'm thinking, should we, should we do each bracket? I think we should, uh, right? So that's the futurism the bracket. One, and then we can have the final four. Yeah. So that means we have to pick between SpaceX and Scale AI. And yeah, Rivian versus Andro. Scales the bottom seed. Got it. Okay. Well, this is pretty easy, isn't it? Well, no, the first one's easy. SpaceX is much more important than Scale AI, right? They dominate them. Yeah. And and to be clear, I think we're doing this collaboratively, right? We're coming up with one bracket here. But I think what we should do is advocate for our positions and then decide. Because like yeah. realistically here. Like yeah. we're, we're like the judging panel. Got so it. I, okay. I think it's if there's disagreement, two out of three carries. Well, the day, two out of three carries today. I love it. So there's gonna there's always gonna be a winner. Perfect. All right, gotta be SpaceX. 
Got to be SpaceX. Got to be SpaceX. No That's idea. a no-brainer. Um, no okay, Rivian versus Andrel. So then you're going about the the second tier electric car company versus Palmer Lucky, who created Oculus and who is doing military defense. I'm going with Palmer Lucky because I think that he's supremely talented, and I think that Rivian's in a commodity business. I That's agree. My this, this one's tougher for me because I was less familiar with both of these companies. It's actually a good excuse to to read up on Rivian uh, a bit. Super interesting what they're doing. The Amazon deal is interesting, but like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's commodity business. And I was just looking at like, why on earth would you buy one of these things? Cyber trucks are cheaper and way cooler, get more range, and they have the supercharger network. Like, well, and, and as GM and Ford, you know, become competent in this area, they're going to have the economies of scale and the distribution. And Volkswagen. Yeah. By the way, I, I knew this, but I hadn't focused on this. You can buy a freaking Cybertruck for $39,000. It's bonkers. That you is you know bonkers. What? Elon got a, um, they're available he, to purchase now? Uh, you can well, buy you them online. Reserve. You reserve. But um, he, he, the, the thing that's really interesting about it is that stamped metal, he got a special machine to stamp that metal. His vision was always, when he showed me the SpaceX factory, he was showing me the metal cutting stuff. And he's like, we're going to take this technology and bring it over to that factory and do the, uh, the Model nice. S and whatever. So this is what people don't understand about his brain. What he learned in manufacturing and SpaceX is going into that Cybertruck. He knows how to have materials come in one side of the factory and a product come out the other. Like, you know, talk about first principle thinking. I think a lot of people around Elon were very like, can we just use OEMs? And he was like, no OEMs. We are, we don't want to be uh, dependent on anybody. And if you remember, yeah. Mercedes made the drive column for the model S and X. That's right. And they then based it no off more. The, uh, the CLS, right. but um, yeah. We had uh, we had Josh Clemente, the founder of Levels, on ah. acquired. Uh, we're gonna re uh, we haven't released that yet. We'll release that probably next week. Uh, oh, and he was an early SpaceX engineer, and he ah. talked about this, like you know, just the difference between how SpaceX operated. He said there was there was a, a Levels, minor... the glucose monitor company. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, company. we're investors in NutraSense, their number one competitor. Ah, nice. So that's interesting. Uh, that sounds like a great episode. If you want to listen to that, acquired.fm is your domain, correct? Indeed. Okay, so do next a Google week. search required. It's coming out next week. Okay, so uh, Ben, you have a thoughts on this? You want to go with the bigger valuation? I'm or? going Anduril. Well, I, okay, we're great. going we're going valuation agnostic because I don't we don't care about it's just the absolute value of the final exactly. Anyway. Okay. But Anduril, I mean, to to me, it's like Rivian is interesting, but will not build power as a business the way that no. that um, Anduril could. Like Anduril is a higher beta bet. R Rivian, exactly, I think, exactly. is safer. 100% in agreement. That means now yep. we have to decide SpaceX versus Andrel. For me, uh, yeah, I mean, it's also, so yeah. easy. But this is a good, like, okay, so it's SpaceX. We it knew today. Sp SpaceX is kind of like LeBron James, right? It's right. Like, you know he's going to the finals. Right. Whatever if you don't give him on. the MVP, he's going to be like, why, why, why the F did you not give me the MVP? So, so here's an economic I argument for why this company is going to be a trillion dollar company. So I was, I was Wait, reading one, into Andrew this. Or and SpaceX? SpaceX. So I was looking into this Morgan wait, wait, Stanley. They, they won the bracket. We, we should, we should say this for the, when it's going. SpaceX clean sweeped three, three all the way. Andrew went three, oh for three. Got it. Perfect. You want to posterity? Say it's happened. Yeah. So Morgan Stanley has this estimate that SoftBank will reach uh, three hundred or could reach three hundred and sixty-four million subscribers by twenty forty, which is about Starling. five percent. 
Yes. You said, about, bank. <laughs> you said soft bank. said soft bank. I was wow. like, Masayoshi-san bought? Oh, dude, he's, he's bringing the Vision Fund 3 is going to Republic. He's doing crowdfunding. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then we're done. All right. Let's look through this here. I don't know. Okay. I must have had that in another note here. Anyway, right. so if Starlink actually can go and do that. 300 million accounts? Uh, yes. It would be, that it'd is, be like Netflix. That's a great, which I think just cleared 200, 210 million or something. I thought it was okay. 250, yeah. So that's $91 billion in revenue at 25 bucks a month, which is a very reasonable estimate of what people would pay for their Globally. internet. And the way that SpaceX has been able to do this, like a ton of people have tried to do this over the last 25 years, Teledesic, Global Star, Iridium, all these companies. But SpaceX got paid $20 billion over the last 15 years by the government and other companies in the form of revenue, non-dilutive financing, to tie in an earlier theme, to build the infrastructure to launch all these things. Yes. So it's like, it, it, oh, there, no one else can ever is, catch I, them because no one else has been the, able to do this. On the, on the Mount Rushmore in the last episode, I I, I tried to to tuck, tuck my own book and, and make a case, but... but Jason, once once you took once you took Musk and Jobs off the table, it was it was game over. Oh, is this a concession that Jason <laughs> was the winner of our last? Concession. I guess. Wow. Yeah. He's, he's so good. He's he's so good. You yeah, are. I mean he's unstoppable. Should we go to fintech consumer productivity next? I, are we going to go straight down the left bracket? Let's go fintech. Yep. Okay, so we got Stripe, Plaid, Coinbase, and Robinhood. I think we all know these companies. Luckily, in this case, Stripe worth a hundred billion. Going public, Robinhood uh, today I think announced Yum Yum. They're oh, somebody they, reported the silent filing. I don't know if they report a silent. And then filing. Vlad confirmed it. Yeah, the Vlad confidential filing, which is a stupid name because it's not confidential that they filed. It's not confidential they filed. What's <laughs> in it is confidential. <laughs> yes, but you would know because I don't know. I don't. You know when I'm under one percent. When you're under one percent, far under one percent. You mean we're not going to see you on the S one. No, no. You're going to be ringing will, the bell? Oh, this is, this is what Jay Cal wants to do. You know, More I got than invited. anything when you get vaccinated is go ring that bell. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing was, you know, um, Travis was going to have me come with him to ring the bell, you know, or just be there when the bell got rung. But then he wasn't invited. And he remember he was on the floor, but Dara was yeah, up on the yeah, stage yeah, yeah, and it was a whole controversy. Right. So I was going to go out and just, you know, be there to support my guy. And then it was like, oh, this is too awkward. Mommy and daddy are fighting, whatever. And so, you know, he went in and there and left or whatever. I think the first time you'll see me be there next to the founder will be com.com if they ever go public, which I think Hey, is I heard that was the very first there. investment that the syndicate ever made and it turned into an over $100 million really? position. I've, I haven't heard that before. Where'd you, where'd you hear that? <laughs> now you guys are trolling me. Okay. So Stripe versus Plaid, Coinbase versus Robinhood. The first one, That's Stripe one. versus Plaid. I think that's an easy one for me. Stripe, yeah. right? They're just yeah. Well, yeah. Plaid, but if like, if we had been talking about potential future upside, Plaid's way undervalued right now. But I mean, Stripe. <laughs> I mean, Stripe allows ev every piece of software, every startup I see when they integrate payments, they integrate Stripe. It is the standard. It's like almost like the as much of a standard as email, right? Like because you can you can have your own Stripe account on something like um, Substack. Right, you can bring your Stripe account, and then when you leave, you take all those customer yeah, charges with you. Yeah, you against Substack these days. No, right? no, I'm just making a. I mean, I'm sorry if your investors in it. I was just making a point that like, it's really what interesting to watch the Andreessen Horowitz versus media through the vehicle of Clubhouse, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but they're the PR partner over there. I forgot her name, Margit. Uh, is it Margaret? Yeah, Margaret Wemmakers. Yeah. Margaret, like she is cutthroat, and she's like, "Oh, we're not in any kind of debate with the media." And I'm like, "Margaret, 
Margaret. <laughs> you literally have two startups you gave tens of millions, if not hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars to, to go out and pay the top journalists to start clubhouse rooms and to give them quarter million dollar, half million dollar advances to leave legacy publications. You're trying to gut mainstream media, call it what it is, and own up to it. Just like, oh no, that's not what we're doing. It's pie love growth, the press. Jason. What? There's not, this is no, this is growing the pie. <laughs> it's zero sum. People don't need the 20th story about the Robin Hood IPO. They need the top three stories, right? And, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. It's, did you see that Matthew, I don't know what that guy's name is, Yiglis? How do you pronounce Yiglis? Yiglis. Um, did you see that they, what did they give him? A quarter million dollar advance? And then... They took the rest of the revenue. Yeah, right. That's that's that was terrible PR for them. That's good. Wow. They should just so, give him the money like that. I know. That's exactly what I thought. I don't they know. Back they, up they, the they, they, he signed a deal, like, and he I got know, the security and the safety of oh, leaving that, his that job and getting a quarter million dollars in a. When their whole thing is like, come write for us, and you make tons of money, and then and then it comes out they're like, oh hey, by the way, we're keeping we're all the money. We're taking seventy percent of it. So for people who don't know, he got two hundred fifty k in advance. And then he wound up, his publication wound up making like 900K. So they took the rest. In the next year, he gets 90%. So he'll get 90% of whatever. It'll be a million dollars by then. He'll get 900,000. They'll get 100. But if he leaves and goes to Ghost or any of the other MailChimp platforms, he'll pay $200 a month. So he can pay $2,000 for what Substack is providing, or he can give them right. 100,000. So, so this is so the reason. So he's going to leave immediately. He'd be well, foolish not to leave. This is the reason why he should change the game now, because I'm recalling back to our Oprah episode, like this is the way these media contracts work. You get your upfront, they do your distribution, you know, um, you, you sign the deal, so you renegotiate your contract later on. However, Substack is not doing his distribution. He's doing his own distribution. He owns right. the email addresses, he owns the Stripe tokens. And so like at any given point, you can blow up the deal and go somewhere else. And so... Substack doesn't actually have the leverage to hold them to this deal. Yeah, they, I mean, I think Substack is totally screwed. Um, like, I think that anybody who makes over a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars on the platform is going to leave. And the whole point of these platforms is to have the wells. The wells equal the revenue, so it makes no sense. Stripe boy, is Mario uh, Gabrielli at the Generalist. He just uh, he just went off platform. Did rolled his own. Yeah, you can roll your own or Ghost is. A, I, I was looking at Ghost. I was like, oh, I'll because right now I'm at war with Andreessen Horowitz, so I'm basically investing in the, the <laughs> counter, all their competitors, to all their startups. <laughs> That's um, your investment thesis right now. Whatever they do, you go sign up the competitor. Yeah, I mean, I did Uber. They did Lyft, right? They did Clubhouse. <laughs> I'm doing two or three other Clubhouse competitors or adjacent products, and so I'm just doing the anti-profile. So I was like, oh, I'll just invest in Ghost. That'll be great. Then I can dunk on Andreessen Horowitz. Is it all day an long. investable entity? I thought it was no, just like a big it's open a source. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm looking for somebody who wants to take the ghost open source and make the WordPress.com. If that's you, Jason well, and Calacanis. And review would have been a good bet, Ooh. but Twitter said yeah, let's up. get the let's get the let's get exactly. the syndicate going. Let's go. We, acquired let's FM plus uh the syndicate.com. Wait, so, Jason, wait, okay, so one, one, one thing before we move on from Stripe here. So we all were like, yeah, stripe, 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 you know, uh versus plaid here. Did you know? Then I should credit Ian Sigalo, the co-founder of Greycroft, with this fact. Braintree processes more payments than Stripe. I didn't know that. Wow. Now, that will probably change soon, but hmm. they've been a juggernaut over there, and they yeah. haven't signed up developers huge the same way that, that Stripe has, but a huge chunk of PayPal's revenue comes from Braintree. Interesting. Doesn't change yeah, my opinion. Stripe, uh, Stripe's going to win this I'm going bracket. Stripe, too. Okay, Coinbase <laughs> versus Robinhood. Yeah, let's keep, let's keep moving. Yeah. 
Coinbase versus Robinhood. This is where it gets interesting. I'm obviously going to pick Robinhood because I'm an investor. Your boy. And I like the idea of stocks and stonks over crypto, um, even though Robinhood, I think Robinhood does crypto on the margins, right? It does. Um, so I like Robinhood, but what do you guys think? I'm going Coinbase. Oh, uh, okay. I think this also was difficult, but I do think they, bo- they both face a bunch of competition. I think Coinbase, though, faces less competition than Robinhood as mm. a pure play crypto exchange. Not that they don't, they, you know, Binance is huge and Gemini, there's plenty of others out there. But I think Coinbase has done a lot to really try and centralize power within this. I mean, it's kind I of mean, this- they're, they're clearly the market leader in crypto. They're the market leader, but they're also they're doing a lot. Like they're taking on a lot of core crypto development work. They're adding tons of products. Mm. See, uh, I think that crypto is not going to be as big as people think, uh, and so I'm I'm not as bu- I'm a little not as bullish on crypto. I think it's kind of overvalued. I think it's got a lot of risk factors, especially with sovereign uh, cryptos, right? Like the the E Remimbi or E Rembi. I don't know what how they pronounce yeah, yeah, it. The digital one. The digital one is coming. So that's going to be interesting. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if some countries say you can't use Bitcoin or if you use Bitcoin, we're going to charge you 20% per transaction instead of using the our sovereign uh, one. So this, I guess, then leads it to Ben. Where are you going to go, Ben? Coinbase or Robinhood? And why? So my the way this boiled down for me was in thinking about what could be a trillion dollar company. And again, there's only been four-ish in history, is that each one has to do something wildly unique and distinctive, reached a ton of people, create and capture a ton of value, and be wildly defensible. Like the each one is the greatest business model of all of all time in the thing that well, they do. Well articulated there. I like that. That's a good checklist. I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's rare air. It's rare air. So to me, if Robinhood had a shot here, then we should at least see like a half trillion dollar brokerage. Mm. Like, sure, they're better, they're disruptive, but they're not completely different than any other stock brokerage that's ever existed. They're going to add more interesting things. Are they going to hit all those checkboxes? I think it's more likely that Coinbase does because it's operating in a completely new, different, disruptive area. All right. So you're going Coinbase. Coinbase wins the day. Coinbase versus Stripe. For me, I'm going with Stripe on that one because I think Stripe and the business of business is better. You, and you, I'm correct. You're going Coinbase? I was going Coinbase. Yep. Yeah, okay. So that I'm going with Stripe because I think owning every transaction or a large number of transactions is better than owning crypto. But I guess this is now a, a referendum on... <laughs> imaginary money versus real money (laughs) so (laughs) and the question with stripe really to me is so i bet it'll be a trillion dollar company because it's not hard to imagine people's appetite for this company being 10 times higher than it is now even at the same performance metrics that it's at now like i think this thing if it ipo tomorrow could ipo at half a trillion dollars so you know there's a little bit of like what's it what makes a trillion dollar company uh well what the market will pay for do we even know what their revenue is it's like i don't know (laughs) okay So, but the, but the, the, the con on Stripe that I always sort of look at with a little bit of a crooked head is how is it defensible? Like why would someone stay with Stripe instead of finding a way once they hit scale to process payments more cheaply and hire more developers and use a set of APIs that's not quite as nice. It is a little bit more expensive than their competitors. Hmm. 
All right. Very AWS like in in that regard. Yeah, interesting. That's maybe that's the acquisition path too. Amazon buying Stripe or Google buying Stripe, a trillion dollar company buys them, who would be the most likely purchaser of Stripe for 250 Amazon. billion? Amazon. Well, Amazon wouldn't do it. Google would be the most likely purchaser, but Amazon be the best fit. Interesting. Uh, so what are you boys going with Stripe or Coinbase? I am going with Stripe on my uh, 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 the market is a voting machine, uh, not a weighing machine argument. So David, what you say does not matter, but let's hear it anyway. I know, I know. Well, I'm glad this is why I wanted to go last because I'm sticking to what I wrote down on my bracket. I had picked Coinbase over Stripe because I think for mostly combination of what you said, Ben, about what is the core fundamental defensibility other than running faster at Stripe. Um, and for Coinbase, I think that we don't know like how big this market could get. It could get so big and Coinbase has an opportunity to participate at every layer of it in a way that Stripe does not in an established traditional market. All right, here we go. Consumer ByteDance, Discord, the chat app that Microsoft is supposedly going to buy for $10 billion. Epic Games maker of Fortnite and Cloud Kitchens by Travis. <laughs> Your boy. Oh, my boy. So let's do ByteDance versus Discord. David, you batted clean up last time. Give us your thoughts. Easy ByteDance. Discord's okay. cool, but like ByteDance is a juggernaut. They're the most the highest valued private company in the world right now. So they have uh, the Chinese TikTok, TikTok, Tawia? Totiao. Totiao. Plus Lark. They, they are like, they are... You could almost think of them as like Google, like just like Google with like YouTube and they have so much all within China. And but TikTok, like people don't appreciate how important TikTok is. It is, I think, the first truly global so at scale social network, like China plus the whole rest of the world. Not a social network, David. <laughs> yeah, not a not social, social network. network. It's social just media company. Social media. Yeah, social yes. media. There you go. And then Ben, where do you wind up on this one? ByteDance. I am going with Discord because I don't want to vote for a Chinese company <laughs> because of ah, their position. But I do uh, think that they're letting the your heart outrun your brain. You know, it's, my vote doesn't matter anyway. It's like being <laughs> a Republican in California, which I'm not. But now we know how Sachs <laughs> You're getting feels. closer, though. You're edging closer. <laughs> I, I'm, I've always been libertarian and really based on personal ownership. And I don't know where I live anymore. Like, I, I thought opportunity and like balancing the budget was a Republican thing. And there are a lot of nutty things that, that are staying out of people's private life, like live and let live was a, a Democratic thing. But now they want to be involved in everybody's life. Like, it's, I don't get it. All right. Epic Games does the Unreal Edition in Fortnite. They've raised $3 billion. They're worth $28 billion in the last financing. Cloud Kitchens is worth $5, 6000000000 billion. They've raised a bunch of money. And um, I think even the $700 million that we know about, we can assume that that might not be the only funding they've had. I'm not on the cap table i don't have any inside information is that true i assumed you would have been invested the, the problem was my friend who started at diego um then travis came in bought out all the partners because he wanted to have control yeah he bought all of it right he bought out chamath everybody um bought the whole thing and everybody made a great return but he just was only going to do that if he could control the company but i will probably wind up on the cap table one way or the other uh maybe as an advisor or something uh they'll get me involved but when you do a a late stage 700 million dollar round when you're travis you know with your former partners from the kingdom who did uber like this is not for our zone of investing right he doesn't need anybody <laughs> yeah yeah. So 
where did you guys wind up? So my view of cloud kitchens is a large part of it is Travis wanting to diversify into real estate. And uh, I'm sure it will be a very this space is very interesting to me. But every time I think about cloud kitchens, that's the first thing that sort of comes to mind is like, for someone who has billions in tech, it would be nice to be diversified should the economy shift gears a little bit. Yeah, they certainly wanted to buy up some real estate. I think they're done with that portion of the business. I went with Cloud Kitchens only because it's my guy. And because I think a game like Fortnite and Epic Games might be like a hit based business. I'm not oh, sure that they're going to be enough about Epic. You got to go listen well, to our episode. Well, boy, because the Unreal Engine is used by so many people. The Unreal Engine, um, Epic also owns House Party. They're like, uh, if you they're believe- They're taking that approach of the Chinese conglomerates, right? And yeah, just buying Intensive, up a bunch of- Yeah, largest shareholder. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I'm going Cloud Kitchens anyway, because I think Travis is going to go buy Uber and put it together. <laughs> and I think he's going to run the combined company. So that's my prediction. That'd be fascinating if that happens. Yeah, I have um, a feeling you guys might feel different. Yeah, I'm going Epic. You're going ben, Epic you and Ben? I'm going Epic, but I actually don't think either of these will ever be a trillion dollar company. Oh, interesting. Okay, so then it's Epic versus ByteDance. ByteDance. You're going to go ByteDance, Ben? ByteDance. It's so insanely defensible and already at scale. Yeah, I, I got to go ByteDance too then. I'm gonna, it's not that. So then that leaves a SpaceX versus ByteDance. Well, we yeah, won't do that yet. Good one. We should do the productivity one. We got Canva. Everybody knows that. Beautiful web design out of Australia, worth a couple billion. Notion, beautiful wiki style, you know, publishing system, content management system, Zapier. Uh, which makes you happier and uh, yeah. <laughs> lets you do logic and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, a you know, king of the APIs. And then Figma for design tools. Canva versus Notion. Where do we wind up, boys? Also, I, this is fascinating to me that like the way it basically wound up is these verticals mm. with Zapier being the horizontal bet. Are you betting on word processing, design, web, ah. or the glue layer that holds it all together, the picks and shovels, which I find interesting. Well, I'm going to go. I'll start this one off. I'm going to go. In the Canva versus Notion, I think Notion has an ability to become like the standard for all document libraries or whatever. But I like Canva. It's a really difficult for one me, but I'm going to give Notion the edge because I just think like Canva's for like design. And I feel like Notion is for everything. And Notion is going to become the central source of people's data. We're also playing with Rome too, um, mm. you know, for our internal organization. But I think yeah. one of these platforms will be like Slack and Discord in every organization. What's your choice? I, I debated this. So I love Notion, uh, heavy Notion user, do all my research for acquired in it. I went with Canva though, because mm. uh, as much as I love Notion, I think it could be the future. I agree with everything you just said. I felt the exact same way about Evernote a few years ago. And I feel like these mm. productivity apps, they just kind of go through cycles and ah. there'll be another one. Um, and nobody really I, owns it, right? It's yeah, kind of like it's, built it's really in for hard free. to... Yeah be a long-term winner and the networks of the network effects frankly are are modest i mean it, yeah. it, it's once the fact of the matter is each of us are dealing with seven different uh, document tools in our life at any given time so when one dies out and someone else forces us to introduce another one then it's not that big a deal like i'm not a notion user but david is so i'm sort of a notion user i'm a heavy google docs user i use apple notes i use you know so you're kind of already in this weekly held tools basket so you're going with it sounds like david's going canva i'm also gonna go canva okay so i'm outvoted on that one canva advances zapier versus figma ben you take you started off this time we'll go around i'm going happier zapier happier, zapier mm -hmm. uh, yep. i think the glue layer is so powerful i think Me they too. have enormous defensibility 
uh, I'm with you 100%, and it sounds like David is too. Plus one, yep. So Zapier versus Canva is our next question to answer. Easy. Also, David, can I, a little, little aside here, we did not put Webflow, nor did we put Airtable in here, which I think is interesting. Mm. And Airtable in particular, you could sort of make a case for, and I was sort of like thinking about, hey, should I email producer Nick and be like, dude, you got to get Airtable in there. I think the winner, so, and this is going to lead to why I'm picking Zapier to take it all here. I think the winner in the no-code tool space is Zapier plus Google Sheets. I wow. think that is the Ooh, database tool wow. and the programming language of yeah, the no-code like tools future. I, I have uh, no-code founders now for people who don't know what we're talking about. It just means you use this off-the-shelf software instead of hiring developers to make your product or service. Um, I'm seeing more and more no-code. I'm thinking about starting, an, I have a no-code newsletter at Inside, inside.com slash no-code. Mm. I'm doing a no-code conference at Inside, online conference uh, with all the platforms speaking. And then... I, I'm thinking like no code is going to be such a big thing. I might want to do like a no code course or a no code accelerator where, mm. you know, people who are not developers get to build products and they're 1.0, get product market fit, then hire your developers, right? That I, I think the vast majority of companies should be started with no code these days, unless you are coming up with a novel UI or solving a deep technical problem. 100%. There is no reason the first version of your product can't be built without code. David, you're going to say something. Our friends over at Tiny, uh, Andrew, Jeremy, and crew over there, that's it started Metal Lab. They spun up a, a no code development agency. 8020. We 80, are 8020. Yeah. Uh, so, just like you know, they do Metal Lab for product design, though they have 8020 for no code product development. It's f fantastic. So, then we're at Zapier versus Canva, and I'm going to go Zapier. Zapier, all the Zapier, way. Zapier, all the way. So, then that means we have Zapier versus Stripe, SpaceX versus ByteDance. Let's go back to the left hand side. We'll go to Ooh. Futurism versus Consumer. U.S. versus China. U.S. versus China. Pretty clear I'm going with SpaceX because I believe in America <laughs> and our American principles. But I also believe America. that SpaceX has the ability to touch every single person on the globe with a $25 a month product. And I think they will be the largest subscription service on the planet Earth. It will be, I, I think, 250 is a, a light estimate. I could see 10% of the planet being covered by Starlink. Uh, and having a paid subscription, I could see literally 700 million people, not one in 10, one in five people on the planet will have this, I believe. And or like soon, a subscription with to Starship, it. they are, with it, Ben, how many, how many Starlink satellites do they deploy per Starship launch? 60 so or something? The Falcon 9 can, can launch uh, 60, Starship will be able to do 400. Right. I mean, he's done. He's done. I mean, people don't realize he's done. They don't need There's that many. There. satellites launched at a time. Imagine, like if you had said that, 10 even five we years live ago, in the future would okay believe you. so i'm going spacex over people dancing in their underwear <laughs> what are you boys going with dancing in your underwear or giving <laughs> blanketing the planet with internet and becoming multi-planetary i'm not trying to influence yeah. the judges so I'm i think curious. you're i think i've been trying to do an expected value calculation here so i think you're exactly right i have pretty reasonably high confidence that bite dance is going to be a billion dollar company in sure. not too long trillion dollar company you mean. i'm sorry trillion dollar company in not too long however it will never be a 10 trillion dollar company spacex will mm. like spacex has a okay. very reasonable chance of being a 10 trillion dollar company at some point it's you know 20 years What's 30 it, years uh, i don't thought know exercise is, here uh if you you could have either in your portfolio, we're not talking about valuations. We're we're doing you know this SpaceX. construct of Tesla or SpaceX. Which one are you? Which one are you? When you're beacon? 
Wait, wait, at the current valuations? No. no it, it just would be in your portfolio. So I think the better way to ask aside. the question, David, is if you had to put half of your net worth into one of these two companies and hold it for 20 years, which one would you pick? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to erase whatever you think about the current Tesla valuation. Let's just like put that aside. Just like which company. Can, can I just say like two years ago, I was making this decision two years ago. Which one would I want to put it into? Spa I'll go SpaceX. It's a hard one. It's hard. But I think SpaceX is more speculative and Tesla Tesla's got a, a much better likelihood, a much easier path forward from this point forward, whereas SpaceX still has like going to Mars is gonna be fucking hard. But I think space we know what Tesla's gonna do. Self driving, robo taxis, like we kinda have the path there of what's gonna happen. Energy, independence, yeah, solar yep. roofs, you know, redoing the electrical grid. It's huge business. But I mean, what if SpaceX finds something on a asteroid and starts mining it and bringing it back and it's the new mineral we need right there there are some things that we don't even know what spacex what what adjacent businesses spacex is going well, to only you know but you won't tell us what they're doing no, in these starlinks this is secret know. no i mean <laughs> all I, guess, the, all I know the dishes they're going to take off they've got propellers they're going to take off and they're going to put it this way <laughs> when 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 tesla's came out they had a 200 mile range but it was really like 125 and then in 300 then 400 now 500 ah, so this is why you so think what do we think starlink's gonna do like so Elon is very thing. focused on performance he's always been ah, very focused on performance and so he this is why you think people yeah. break he demands people break records and he doesn't take you know i don't think elon takes like oh no Good that's the max for, it can do yeah. like very well when somebody says what that. do you mean physics we uh, <laughs> no i mean we'll he's like let, well, well let's try to f i mean you saw the battery day i mean a battery yeah. day was a little bit of a flop i think for press because they're too dumb to understand what he was talking about in large part well literally and just was like let's land these fucking rockets like <laughs> well i mean i think people just don't understand battery technology and for him like saying like hey we're going to make batteries that last two or three times as long at half the price like people don't understand exactly how big of a deal that is right Anyway. All right, so I now understand how you think 10 to 20% of the planet is going to use Starlink. <laughs> yeah. I think so, yeah. So what do All you right, think? So SpaceX or Tesla, which one are you? Um, this is SpaceX. A hard one. Okay. Especially, yeah, especially SpaceX if too. it's in my retirement account. Right, that's why I put the 20-year yeah, window on it. Okay, so SpaceX versus ByteDance. Let's, let, let's nail this down. Who's going to the championship? I pick mine, SpaceX. I pick mine, SpaceX. Okay, I pick David SpaceX. Communist. I pick are SpaceX too, but I really struggle with this. I think both of these companies are going to be trillion dollar Fang M style companies. I'm, I'm very proud of you boys that you well, didn't what, go communist. Quick, yes, I did. I did stick with the US. But one quick thing on ByteDance, <laughs> just to this is not just dancing in your underwear. They have the best AI recommendation algorithm technology in the world, bar none, and that is yeah. Don't don't go on TikTok at one a.m. because you'll look up and it'll be three a.m. I don't know who's had this experience, but it's just for oh for sure, it's scary. It's scary. That thing is so addicting. It's bonkers, and it's not just video. You know, Totiao is is well, it's news, but it's every they they the company applies this to more than just TikTok. They know how to get you to the next thing and keep you on. Okay, so then it's Stripe versus Zapier. I think we all know which way we're going. David, you kick us off. Stripe. Ben? Stripe. I'm um, Stripe too. So then it's SpaceX versus Stripe. We're going with... SpaceX. Mars or <laughs> your chart? I thought you wanted to pick. For your SaaS. The question is, can Stripe ever be a $10 trillion company? No. Yeah, I don't I'm think so. I'm going SpaceX. Yeah, SpaceX. Okay, there we go. And Ben? SpaceX. All right. There you go, folks. SpaceX wins the private company. 
bracketology. This has been another amazing episode. Let's get some plugs in here. Acquired FM has a LP show. It's only a hundy. Go sign up. It is well worth it. You get your custom RSS feed, which allows you to get content nobody else can get that the boys put a lot of time into. These are smart boys. They do a great job. And I am commanding all my listeners who hear my voice to go sign up and give them a hundy. They deserve it. You know, we have like a really good free show too. The free show, get that. That's free. And then <laughs> you cheap bastards shoot the lock off your wallets. You're so great. You need to spin up, up uh, just like the tiny guys. You need to spin up a marketing agency on the side here. Where you or do, cameos you where podcasters reads. can just pay yeah. you to like be great. <sighs> no, I mean, we just sell ads. I mean, basically when people buy ads for the podcast, I'm, you know, the ads that work on my podcast are ones where I think it's, SaaS products that you know any product that's over ten thousand dollars lifetime value it it kind of works really well for because you get one customer that pays for it or one customer every two or three ads and you're good so i just think SaaS products and reading those when you're aligned who, who sponsors your pro product product podcast same type of yep anything to plug i did one plug for you <laughs> on, on my end, uh, we just closed a $100 million fund for PSL Ventures Fund 2. Congrats, so if you, uh, if you are a founder in the Northwest or can squint your way to being in the Northwest, I'd love to talk to you. I got two plugs. One, legitimately, I, I swear to God, I said this, say this on our pod. All In is my new favorite pod. It's I mean, so if good. You, I can't oh, imagine anybody who's listening so to this and does not listen to All In. Uh, watch, the, you watch it on YouTube, too. Like It, it adds yeah, we do the a lot video. Of advanced, adds a lot. We're doing a lot of advanced graphics on it. So we're taking an hour or two in post to embed graphics. And we're doing that on This Week in Startups now. Um, nice. So, yeah, Super producer Nick, people. the man. Well, we now have two more people full-time on the podcast team. Shout out Justin, producer Justin, and Charles, our uh, studio director, came back. Uh, and so then other one real quick is a uh, latest episode we just dropped on acquired on rec room a lot of people don't know rec room out there uh, a what lot of people it? know roblox but rec room is uh the newest minted unicorn private company newest minted seattle unicorn it's um fantastic you gotta listen we we had CEO oh, rec, room. rec room rec room is the is not the vr one yep yeah it's not just That's vr anymore a billion vr million users. iphone wow. xbox playstation <gasps> grew 600% in the past year just raised so people are really doing Jason if you liked Roblox but felt you couldn't get exposure early enough this, this is the you. company for you uh, but it's all VR right no. No. no 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 oh okay so they're off the VR tip that didn't work it is, no 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 it's, it's basically it's also everybody working. who uses VR they have essentially every VR user <laughs> out there plus like 5 million users on Xbox on PlayStation oh. on iOS so on they're multi-platform multi-platform yep. what is their most popular game so all users no it's it's all oh it's, like it's that thing where you it's walk all, over here and you go together. to the play chess over here you play ping pong here but it's also a creator economy so they have 15 million users they have 2 million who are creators so you can create directly there's no separate coding so everything to is becoming a world yep. with with unlimited possibilities so we're basically in the william gibson 100 percent, and you can sell what you make wow so that is like a doro where they were like selling kimonos and like they were going to an important meeting so the little 16 year old girl in it was like buying her $100 kimono because she was going to go meet people. And you're exactly reading this book 20 on. years ago. And you're like, what idiot spending $100 <laughs> on Is it snow crash? No, not snow crash. William Gibson. Uh, snow crash is what's his name? Oh, uh, oh, oh, you're talking yeah. about um, uh, William Neuromancer? Gibson. Neuromancer. 
yeah, he, that's Neuromancer, similar genre. Um, but William Gibson did something called the Bridge Series, which was all tomorrow, mm. tomorrow's uh. parties. It was like a dystopian San Francisco. Everything's in uh. VR. Bay Bridge has been totally, you know, like kind of Blade Runner kind of situation. Um, really good series. Iduru, Virtual Light, and All Tomorrow's Parties, I think, are that trilogy. Um, the Bridge Trilogy, I think they call them. It's really good. All right, boys. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.